It's Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, which I'll read, and then a brief prayer. It says this, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Maybe your translation says something more like this, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Let us just pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we read this simple exhortation. Father, and we confess how often we forget it. Lord, forgive us for our coldness of heart, for our lack of devotion in our prayer life, Father, may we just afresh look at this subject today, this tremendous subject of prayer, and just see the great blessing that it is to us, but also see what a great delight it is for you. So Lord, help us now in the word as we, as we look into this matter, as we consider this matter together. We ask for your help, for your leading, for your Holy Spirit to be at work in each one of our hearts. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. So we come to the Colossians chapter 4 and you will remember that we have been dealing with the application of the truth of our union with Christ, that Paul has gone to great lengths to remind these Colossian believers of the completeness that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. The very fact that there is nothing in which to add to our salvation But it is rather the growing deeper of our understanding in just what our union with Christ actually means. And with that union, we've seen that we've come to, in fact, have Christ dwell within us. That union with Christ that has completed the believer and not only completed the believer, but our life has now been hidden in Christ, in God. There is no more secure place than we can find ourselves than where we do as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is nothing else to add. And of course, he's been looking at the identity, the the identity of the believer in Christ and the, the preciousness of what that means. Of course, the life, what our lives should look like now that we have this new identity and the behavior that will flow out from that new identity. And now we come to this little section where he is addressing the speech of the believer. And I was tempted to to just go through this quickly, but I felt like we just needed to pause for a moment and just consider what it really means for us to pray. To I guess recalibrate our own hearts, to to melt our own hearts if you like and come back to this this very basic truth that is like second nature to the believer, or at least it should be. And this is so vitally important because this is the way in which we enjoy this union with Christ. This is the way we grow in our union with Christ, grow deeper in our union with Christ, in our our communion with Christ. And of course, this is the only way because of this union that we have with our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can even approach the Father. We are accepted 
in the beloved one. And with that acceptance comes these privileges. And one of these great privileges is prayer. It is prayer. And he is addressing here, the the apostle is addressing that indeed our speech, our new kind of speech as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing he addresses is prayer. Because this is ultimately the most important speech we can actually utter, that we can be engaged in. It is the most important speech because it is our communion with God. It is our communication with God. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer. There's there's really four key words in this little passage. And they're very powerful words in the Greek. There There is in a sense that he is saying this phrase with a big underline. Because there is, there is not many conjunctions, there is not many joining words in this little sentence that he's given us. And the four key words are obviously prayer, devotion, watching and thankfulness. Prayer, devotion, watching and thankfulness. And the first word here in the Greek for prayer that he uses is prosechi. And it's where we get the word prosecute from. And you say, well, that's a strange word that the, that the apostle would be using, that we are to prosecute God. But don't, don't let it cloud your judgment of what he's actually trying to say. Because, you know, when you have, a, you have one of those court dramas and one of the, usually it is the prosecution, and the defence will stand up and says, Your Honour, I object. He is badgering the witness. He is badgering. And in a sense... What Paul is saying here, the the force of the word that he is using, is that he wants us to bring our requests with such fervency and such repetition, not vain repetition, but such consistency, such expectancy to God that we could even be accused of badgering him, prosecuting our requests, prosecuting our intercession before our Heavenly Father, doing so with a great love and a joy as we come to him burdened with our requests just go to turn over to Matthew's gospel chapter 7 briefly I'm not going to go through the entire teaching of the Lord in prayer but rather just look at the principle of this because it is really important Okay, the principle of prayer as the Lord Jesus taught it in Matthew chapter 7 And this is really his first section where he teaches on prayer, specifically teaches on prayer. Matthew 7, verse 7. Easy to remember. Matthew 7, verse 7. And it says this. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be Opened. Do you see the repetition in the Lord's teaching here? The repetition for emphasis. Okay? Or what man is there of you? Whom, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? 
This is so important. This idea that we are coming to God to ask him, to unburden him, unburden ourselves before him. Now go over to Luke 11 and you'll see this same principle. Luke 11. Now, in this context, the Lord Jesus was actually praying in a certain place. And then, when he ceased, one of the disciples, who was intrigued about what the Lord Jesus was doing in his prayer life, says, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, and then we have here the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine is on his journey, is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are in with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. And I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity... He will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asks receives. And he that seeketh finds. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you, that is a father. Will he give him a stone or if he ask him for a fish, will he give him a servant? Or if she'll ask him ask for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you being then evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And then the last parable. Luke chapter eighteen. Just go over to Luke chapter eighteen briefly. And here we have this. Uh, story of the persistent widow. And the Lord is telling this parable that uh, literally it says that men are always to pray and not to faint. Okay? And he uses this, this little widow here as the example. And there, there, was a, in it, there was a city, in the city there was a judge, and this judge was a pretty rotten judge. He didn't fear God and he didn't have any regard or care for man. Okay? And there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward. He said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, the New Living Translation actually says, because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. J.B. Phillips goes one step further and says, because she will be the death of me. This judge has had enough of this little widow. But the point is here, the principle of all of these passages and the principle of this one also 
is because of the persistence in prayer. Because of the repetition of coming to intercede and to beseech. And that is the teaching of the Lord Jesus. He is saying, you have to do this with a consistency. You have to do this like you really mean it. Like you really want it. Like it's something that is is burdening you. And we are to come. And we are to pray. The second word in our passage is this word devotion. And we sort of miss it a little bit in the authorised version. But in all the other translations and in the Greek, it's very clear that this word devotion, it can be also translated steadfast endurance or being courageously persistent in something. Okay, We are to hold fast. We are to not give an inch. We are to remain faithful in this action, in, this pra- in our prayer life. The, the, one of the best examples in the New Testament that I could find was the example of Cornelius, the centurion in Acts chapter 10. It says that he was a man who prayed to God always. He prayed to God always. And his household was richly blessed because of this man's prayer life, this Gentile centurion who was set over the, the entire uh, group of soldiers from Italy. And so this man, he knew what was what. He knew what it was like to be persistent in something, to be courageous in something. This was a military man who was in charge of a lot of other men. But yet, in spite of his responsibilities, he still found time. He still made it a priority. And it says that he prayed always. He prayed always. And the third word in our passage, watching Gregory Entes. Gregory Entes. It's where we get the name Gregory from. And it just means to be alert and expectant. Alert and expectant. It's not just a passive watching. We're not just simply staying awake. No, we're being expectant. We are waiting for something to happen. There is an expectation in the believer's prayer life. We are to pray. We are to have a devotion to our prayers. We are to have that endurance in our prayers. We are to be expectant in our prayers. And lastly, we are to be thankful. This is sort of like the thing that covers all the other things. This is the, this is the attitude of prayer, if you like, an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of being constantly thankful, constantly coming back and looking at the things that the Lord has done for us and returning to give him thanks. This is the conversation of prayer. This is, this is responding to God for what he has done for us. And so this is how the cycle of prayer continues because through our thankfulness, through an overflowing heart of thankfulness and praise, we acknowledge what God has done and we return the thanks to him. And he loves to hear from, from us in this way. Eucharistus is the Greek for those who are interested. Eucharistus. Now prayer is fundamentally asking for God for anything that we need or desire. Okay, it is the affection, the heart's affection in request before God. D.L. Moody, when making a visit to Scotland in the 1800s, he was talking in a prep school in Scotland, lots of little kids, hundreds of little kids, and he asked the rhetorical question. He said, he said to the children, what is prayer? 
And to his surprise, all these little hands shot up. He wasn't really expecting this. But you see, and, and he, he surprisingly, he, he, he said to one of the young lads at the front row, he said, well, what is prayer? Answer the question. And the little boy stood up and said very confidently and promptly, Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. To which Moody was taken aback and then turned to the young boy and said, You just thank the Lord that you were born in Scotland. (laughs) Because that never would have happened in America where Moody was from. But the point was that these little children were taught the catechism, weren't they? And they knew what prayer was because they learnt their catechism. They knew what prayer was. So that is one definition. Bunyan's definition of prayer is very similar, but perhaps a little bit more personal. Bunyan writes the definition of prayer is this, and he wrote a whole book expounding this definition. It's not a long book, but it is a very wonderful book. Prayer is a sincere Sensible. Now, sensible is Puritan for affectionate. It's not just not silly prayers. It's affectionate prayers. Sincere, sensible, pouring out of the heart and soul to God through Christ in the strength and assistance of the Holy Spirit for such things as God has promised or according to his word for the good of the church with submission in faith to the will of God. It's a very full definition, but it's a very poignant definition and so we have here in colossians chapter 4 this very very simple exhortation to pray and that sort of calibrates our thinking if you like in terms of what we're really talking about here what the apostle is trying to communicate but the question that i have and i was um i must confess i was going to just sort of push through this and try and you know get us to the end of the book Um, so that we're not in Colossians for the next two years. But I was arrested and I was also convicted about this very topic. And I asked myself, well, why don't we? Why don't I? Why don't I pray like this? Why do I not take this exhortation as simple as it is that even the youngest child among us can understand it. And why don't I pray like this? And it was indeed convicting. And the only reason that I could think of as to why myself, why us, as the children of God, as his people don't pray more, is that we are or have grown cold in our hearts. That there is something in our hearts that... Perhaps there is elements of unbelief, that we don't really trust that God will answer our prayers. Or perhaps we've become so accustomed to just merely going through the motions that we have departed from our first love. And that this coldness of heart has has crept in and it has started to affect our prayer life. You know, one of the first things in warfare that the enemies try to do is to cut off one another's communication from the forward posts back to base. And I firmly believe that the devices of Satan in this world, in the system that he has created, he has created a system where it is so easy for us to get cut off 
to get distracted, to get caught up with the responsibilities and the cares. And sometimes they are very valid and they are very good responsibilities. But if they take the priority of our prayer life away and they cut off that communication from our head, from the Father, then we will find ourselves in a world of trouble. And we will find ourselves growing colder and colder and less and less more willing to pray. And so how do we take up this exhortation? What we know, what is good and what is right. See, I don't think there's anybody here who is a born-again believer who would say or disagree with what I'm saying. I think all of us would, if we ask ourselves honestly, how are we going with our prayer life? I don't think any of us here, from the youngest to the oldest saints, could say that we've got it all together, that we're totally fine, and thank you very much. Move along, Nick. Get to the end of the book. I think if we're honest with ourselves, that's where we find ourselves. But how do we take up what we know is good and right and for our benefit and also what we want to do because our desire is to pray and how do we make it like the very act of breathing? How do we make it so natural that it is like we are just breathing and we don't even have to think about it because it is part of us. It is who we are in Christ. It is the very fact that we are practicing the presence of God. We are praying continually. We are in fellowship with him. We are rejoicing in him in the smallest things and in the big things of life. And I think, brothers and sisters, Colossians actually gives us the key to what Paul is saying here. Because remember, he has painted for us this glorious picture of Christ. And he has gone through time and time again, laying out the blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think we need to get back. We need to see God and understand who God is more deeply. Not in a sense that we're looking for another experience, but we just need to contemplate these things of how they are revealed to us in Scripture. That we need to understand that our Heavenly Father is there, ready and willing and wanting to receive our prayers. And I'm convinced that by the pattern of Scripture and by the, by the lives that we have recorded as the heroes of our faith in Scripture... We see these ones that the longer they walked with the Lord, the more time they spent in prayer. Because they had this understanding of the God in whom they served, the God in whom they worshipped. And they didn't want to depart from him. They wanted to stay close to him because they knew that they needed him every hour. Look at the prayer life of Abraham, of Moses, of Daniel of David. Read the Psalms. The Psalms, how they how they just are the, the psalmist's heart, unburdened, unbridled before their God. We need to be thinking like this. We need to understand that God wants to hear our prayers, first and foremost. Okay? It says Proverbs fifteen verse eight says, The prayer of the upright is his delight. Now, as believers, we would want to delight the heart of God, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want to bring his heart, delight and joy in our Christian walk, in our fellowship with him? The prayer of the upright is his delight. 
John Kelvin in his Institutes, in commenting on prayer, it says that he is very important to call upon the Lord in prayer. This is one of his first exhortations that he makes. Firstly, and I, I love this sentence, firstly, that our hearts may be fired with a zealous and burning desire to seek, love, and serve him. Okay? Firstly, this is the priority that Calvin saw in prayer, that our hearts may be fired with a zealous and burning desire to seek him, to love him, and to serve him. And he goes on, while we become accustomed to, in every need, to flee to him as to our sacred anchor. It's a lovely thought. It's a lovely expression of what it means to go to God in prayer. Now, remembering Christ is our, is our hope of glory, in Colossians 1. He's our hope of glory and the very mystery of the fact that, that Christ has now come to dwell in us. And it's a, it is a mystery. It is a mystery. He has, he has given us his Holy Spirit. That very same spirit that was within, he is now sent out to his church. And that spirit is striving with every believer. And it is even striving with unbelievers to bring them to Christ, to point them to Christ. And the fact that we are hidden now in Christ, complete in him. And we are to enjoy it. So, brothers and sisters, learn this truth. Learn what it means to commune with him, to, to tell him everything, to beseech him, to entreat him, to cry out for help, to cry out for mercy whatever it might be, whatever your need, to confess your sins, to ask him to deliver you from them. He wants to hear our prayers. He wants to deliver you. This is the, the burning delight of his heart, to hear the prayers of the saints. And, you know, in a sense, there is a, there is a real wrestle in prayer. There's a striving in prayer. We, saw, we see that in the, in the scriptures with Jacob and with those, those dear saints that, that were under persecution and they, they strove with God in prayer all night, you know, they, there is a struggle. And it's in a, in a sense that we too have to embark on that struggle, not in the same circumstances necessarily, but we want to hold on to him until we hear from him, until he blesses us, until we, we receive from the Lord that which he wants to give us. We are to continue in prayer. We are to watch in the same with thanksgiving. We are to grow in our love for God and who he really is and see how much he is longing for his goodness and for his blessing. Indeed, to be showered upon his children. You know, one of the close friends of Martin Luther during the Reformation period, and overhearing they used to live down the hall from one another, and he could hear Martin praying and uh, commenting about Luther's prayer life later on. He said it was like it was like listening to a child beseeching their father for help. Now we wouldn't necessarily associate the great reformer uh, with acting like a child, but indeed his prayer life was there was such affection there, such such common union in the prayer life of Martin Luther that it was as if he was but a child beseeching his father for help. And he went on to say that this was an unburdening of Martin's heart, comparable only with the psalmist himself.
It's a pretty amazing observation of one's prayer life. So how can we appreciate how much he loves to hear and answer our prayers? Well, we can actually look in Scripture too because we saw in Revelation chapter 5 that great picture, that great vision of Revelation that we have, the the revelation of the Lord Jesus, when he had taken the scroll in verse 8, and the four living creatures and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. And then it goes on to just clarify exactly what those bowls are. And it says that those bowls, which are the prayers of the saints, they are given a special place in God's presence. The prayers of the saints, no less in these golden bowls, this picture we have of the praise, the harp, representing the praise of God and the prayers in that golden bowl, being retained, being stored up. This picture that they are so precious to him that not a single prayer is lost before our infinitely loving Heavenly Father. We've got way too much to get through, so I won't try and rush it. But just consider briefly how the Lord prayed. Consider, consider the Lord's prayer life. You know, before any major event, it was noted in, in uh, Mark chapter 6, for example, where the Lord, before he chose his disciples, before he selected the twelve, he actually prayed. It says he spent all night in prayer. He spent all night. This was, this was his, the pattern of things before these major events. And then also right at the start of his ministry, we're given this, this clue where it says that in the morning and rising up a great while before the day, he went out and he departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. He withdrew from the, the crowds. He withdrew even from his disciples, even from those closest to him, just to be with his father. And this was why I believe that, uh, that what we read in Luke 11, that one of the disciples, they saw this pattern and they wanted to know in Luke 11, they wanted to know more about prayer, more about how to pray like this. And so we can learn so much by looking at the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it really is, the prayer life of the Lord is, is a whole other inquiry. We could spend weeks going through the prayers of the Lord, going through every single time that the prayers are mentioned when Jesus was praying and the circumstances around that. And we can learn and garner so much just by emulating what he did, just by watching him and learning of him. But ultimately, what he was doing in each of these situations was he was bringing his heart before his father. He was unfastening his heart, his burdens. And we see this, don't we, time and time again through the Gospels. And we see this sort of all the way through. Finally, it it builds to this crescendo of prayer in the upper room. And there the prayers then continue. The prayer life of the Lord flows out into the garden. And then those prayers, they continue all the way to the cross. This was the pattern and the life of the Lord of a prayer life, a perfected prayer life lived in the presence of God. And so we can take so much from that. 
But quickly moving on, that last, the second last word, the idea that we are to be alert and awake. We are to be expectant. Okay, we are to be expectant. God to hear and to answer our prayers. Martin Luther, again, his great friend and assistant to the Reformation, Frederick Myconius, he was gravely ill. This is in 1540, okay? He was gravely ill, he expected to die, and then Martin Luther heard that his friend was going to die. He was, there was really no hope for him, the doctors couldn't do anything. And so, on his bed, Frederick wrote a letter to, Mar- to Martin wishing him, uh, wishing him well and to say his goodbyes. And Luther received the letter and he sent back a very sharp reply by Express Courier. Um, and it said this, I command thee in the name of God to live because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church and the Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek to glorify the name of God. Now, although Myconius had already lost the ability to speak, Luther's letter came, and and he read the letter, and he recovered completely, and he lived for six more years, and he survived Luther himself by two months. It's an amazing letter, because you know we, we read those words and we think, gee, that sounds presumptuous. That sounds almost irreverent that Martin could write such a letter beseeching his friend to live. But you see the, the expectancy that the man had, the expectancy that, that he had this work that he believed that God had given him to do. And he couldn't see any other way for that work to be done other than if Myconius was with him doing it. Labourers were pretty, pretty light on the ground during the Reformation. Let me tell you, when you had burning stakes going on all over the place, it was pretty hard to find people to come alongside you in the Reformation. But here was this faithful brother that Luther desperately needed to continue the work with him. And so he prays in this letter with such expectation. But you know, this is not presumptuous. Because in Isaiah chapter 62, we have these wonderful verses recorded for us there where God is is speaking through the prophet and he says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen, and all day and all night they will never be kept silent, and you who remind the Lord... Take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest. That is the watchman. Give God no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise on the earth. We are to be expectant just like these watchmen. And it goes on in chapter 65 to again say, And it will come to pass in that day that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. This is is the ear of God opened to our prayers. And it should always be done, finally, with thanksgiving, shouldn't it? Isn't that why we come here every week? We come here every week to give God thanks, to return as saved, redeemed children of grace that have been cleansed, that have been acquitted, that have been brought nigh, no longer standing afar off, We've been brought nigh, and it's that heart of thankfulness that just 
permeates all of our prayers, all of our worship, the incense that is offered there in the presence of God. And this union, suddenly it becomes a communion. You know, this is the sixth time in this letter that Paul specifically mentions thankfulness. It's the sixth time. It is, in, in verse 4, he's thanking God for the Colossians and their faith in love. Chapter 1, verse 12, for he's grateful for our inheritance in salvation. Chapter 2, verse 6, he's thankful for their growth. 3, verse 15, for their fellowship with Christ and with his church. And verse 17 of chapter 3, for the opportunity to serve him and to be there with them. And so this is the overarching theme of all prayers, of all of, our, of, all of us. They should ca- carry with them this sense of thankfulness. I couldn't help but think when I was um, considering the, the, the thankful spirit that we need to have uh, of the situation that Paul found himself in on the, uh, on the ship. And you recall that Paul was there on the ship and he's on his way back to Rome there in Acts 27. And he is, they're in a storm. And it says that the storm went for 14 nights. Okay, so this was a long time to be in a storm on a ship, let me tell you. I mean, I've been on a, on a storm, in a storm, and it lasted for about 12 hours. And that was, quite frankly, enough for me. Paul's there and, and he's, he's trying to get the, the crew under control. Because they're, they're starting to you know, go a bit crazy because this storm has been battering them for so long. And they're... They're thinking about you know, killing all the prisoners and you know, they're trying all these different things to get the boat to stay where it is and none of it's really working. And he said, look, you just have to eat. You haven't eaten for 14 days. You've got to eat something. And the storm's raging around him. You can imagine what this was like. But then it just says, like, it's almost like out of place, but it says that he just took bread and he gave thanks. And it's just this sort of, he couldn't help Despite of all that, all the circumstances, all the chaos and the raging of the storm and, and the unruly sailors and the prisoners and, and you know, everything else going on, but he just comes and gives thanks for the simple things of life, for the bread that at least they still had on board. And sometimes I feel like we just need to, to take a, a, you know, a note out of, out of Paul's book here and in spite of everything going on, if, especially if we don't know what to do, Just stop. Just stop and give thanks. Just come to the Lord in prayer and give him thanks. We'll finish there. Look, my prayer is that our hearts may be just filled with, or to to borrow Calvin's words, that they might be fired, in fact, with a zealous and burning desire to seek and to love and to serve him. Because I, I firmly believe that this is the key. This is the key for the Christian walk, that we can have that vision of God, the vision of Christ. We can see exactly who he is, and we can know how much he wants to hear and answer our prayers. He is always ready and willing to hear. In fact, he is far more expectant of our prayers than we are expectant for him to answer them. And we need to come to this realisation 
And we need to stand back and watch and be utterly amazed at what God will do through a bright prayer life, through indeed continuing in prayer, watching in the same, being expectant. You know, God never commands us or expects us to do anything that he hasn't given us the grace or equipped us to do. He's not asking us to do anything here that we can't do. And so it is up to us to be walking closely with him and indeed to be enjoying that fellowship with him, wanting to please him. And only then, I believe, that we will be able to enjoy our prayer life, we'll be able to indeed bring delight to his heart through our prayer life. And that should be the desire of every heart for our blessing and for his glory. Let's just pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for the clarity and the simplicity of your word. Lord, we are so slow to hear. Father, help us to just recalibrate our prayer life, to remember the great blessing that it is to be able to take hold of the throne of grace. Lord, to come to you with our intercession with our petitions. Lord, just give us this prayer life, we pray. May we become individuals of prayer. May we be men and women and children of prayer. And Lord, may this just turn us into a church of prayer. Lord, start with each and every heart here, we humbly pray. We ask, Lord, that you would just take us now to our our various homes for the remainder of this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your presence to be with us. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be at work in our lives throughout this week. And we commend our way to you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.